welcome to the Farm Beats podcast. Farm Beats is proudly produced by the Nebraska Digital Agriculture Team and hosted by students at the University of Nebraska. The Farm Beats podcast comes to you each week to discuss the trends, the realities, and the value of digital agriculture. Through interviews with experts, producers, and innovators from across the agriculture industry, we hope that you step away from each episode with new practical knowledge of digital agriculture technology. Hello, Farm Beats followers, and welcome to another episode of the Farm Beats podcast. I'm Jose Cesario. And I'm Taylor Cross, and we're glad to have you with us as we continue diving into the topic of precision livestock management. Today, we are joined by Caitlin Dosler, master's student working with virtual fencing research. With her diverse background in grassland management, her projects tested this technology to help cattle producers minimize fencing challenges. With that, let's jump into this episode with Caitlin. I grew up in central Nebraska on a farming and cow-calf operation, which is how I got my start in the agriculture side of things. And growing up, I just really had like the passion for the outdoors, hunting, fishing, all that kind of stuff. And when I got to college and realized I could do it as a major, you could say I was hooked, as stupid and corny as that sounds. Um, And so I did my undergrad degree in fisheries and wildlife. And throughout that time, that degree, I got involved in the grassland program. Now, if you would have told me I would have studied grass coming into college, I would have laughed at you because I was like, there's no way. And then the more I got into the program, I started to realize it was kind of the foundation for everything like agriculture, what I was interested in, the cow-calf side of things, and wildlife base. You can't have a healthy wildlife population or a good, healthy cattle herd if you don't have the foundation, which is most of the time the grass and the natural environment. And so when I started looking into grad schools, I really thought I wanted to go that wildlife route. And I had some grassland professors approach me and they're like, we really think you would really be strong going into the more grassland side of things. Kind of shrugged my shoulders, kind of threw it off. And then Mitch Stevenson, my advisor out of Scotts Bluff, approached me and he's like, I have this project and it's with virtual fencing and cattle production. And I was like, what in the world is virtual fencing? As what a lot of people ask me that question now. And the more I learned about it and the more I heard about it and talked about it, I just saw like people back home and my friends, their eyes lit up and they were like, that is so cool that you get the opportunity to study that. And so that's kind of my 360 journey. I went from being like super wildlife focused to understanding the need for this like new and innovative technology in the ag field. And the end goal when I'm all done with this is I really like the idea of private lands biology and combining my two passions for wildlife and agriculture and really working with the ranchers to implement conservation practices on their ranches and help their bottom line while also like helping the environment. That's pretty cool, Caitlin. It's it's nice how your background is related to the wildlife and how the importance this in mainly in Nebraska that we mm-hmm. have all the grasslands, right? And you mentioned about the virtual fencing. That's something that we will be talking more in deep today. But could you please tell us a little bit about other projects of your lab? What kind of research topics you're covering on their lab? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And so I feel really lucky because I get two advisors on my project. So I have Dr. Mitch Stevenson out of the Panhandle Research and Extension Center out of Scotts Bluff. And under him, I'm doing the virtual fencing project. And then I've also been exposed to a lot of really cool other projects. I've gotten to do a lot of work with cattle GPS movements. 
and putting GPS collars on cows and their calves and just looking at their different movements and trying identifying what they're doing on the landscape by just like the movements that we see. And then another really cool thing, I've really gotten to sharpen my plant ID skills. I've gotten to do a lot of plant identification. Mitch is doing a prescribed burn study and we're looking at how cattle react to a burn section of a pasture and if they spend more time in the burn section versus the unburned section and how that affects like overall weight at the end of the season. And so we've done a lot of grass samples in the burned areas, non-burned areas. And so that's been a really cool side of that project. And then on the flip side for the wildlife half of my project, I'm under, under Dr. Andy Little here in the School of Natural Resources, and his lab is covering everything wildlife from they're doing like the state's largest like turkey research project that's going on right now. We have students working on pheasants. We have a master's student working on a pronghorn project, like you name it. And there's probably a wildlife project going on in our lab about it. And so that's really fun how I get the best of both worlds and seeing both sides of that. Yeah, that is a really neat experience. Definitely different probably from uh, Jose and I's uh, <laughs> graduate work, we, you know, just see a lot of corn and uh, wheat and right. beans, and that's about to the extent of it. So that's really neat. Um, so your lab's re research uh, fits squarely at the interface of agriculture production, uh, wildlife management, and conservation. So, like, why do you think this nexus is so significant in Nebraska and broadly just across the U.S.? So, probably in Nebraska specifically, you know, Nebraska is 97% privately owned. And out of that, about 46% of it is grasslands. And so because it's so privately owned, it's up to those individual ranchers and those individual landowners to really implement these new conservation practices and these new grazing management practices. So if we want to conserve on our natural resources and really extend the life of the forage out there on the landscape, especially in places like western Nebraska, then it's really up to those individual landowners and us as researchers to work with those individual landowners and help them implement these new technologies to not only benefit their operations, but like the ecosystems as a whole. It could potentially help their bottom line. It could make their lives easier on the ranch with less labor and things of that nature. And that's kind of where I see it affecting like Nebraska and then the U.S. as a whole. It's really becoming a big thing out west in really rough terrain where in some places they're quoted up to $30,000 to put in one mile of fence. And so if we could bring in something like virtual fencing to um, help with like cross fencing and rotational grazing and stuff like that, it could really save a lot of ranchers and a lot of people out West, a lot of time, energy, and their bottom line in some cases. And since our podcast really focused on all this data management, all the technology that we, we use for all this precision agricultural, we would like to hear a little bit about your perspectives into this new term that is the precision livestock. So the way I describe precision livestock to a lot of people is it's using new and innovative technologies to overcome challenges that ranchers are currently facing, will face in the future, maybe they've even faced in the past. So the really cool thing about precision livestock management is the fact that it's like um, continuous like monitoring of each individual animal, whether that's animal welfare, animal health, like production, reproduction, and their overall like effect on the environment. Precision livestock management is giving us real-time updates and helping us properly manage our herd in ways that we've never been able to before because we can pull up our phone and see what cow 005 is doing, where she's at in the pasture, her health records, and things like that. So it's really innovating the ways of 
going out and checking your cows when like you know like you can change pivots from your phone like now you can check your cows from your phone and we're not trying to replace the cowboy by any means that'll never happen but it's just it's another tool in the rancher's pockets yeah i like that being a tool and it's super innovative and definitely a need in the industry right now um so before we dive in like super in depth on this digital uh, technology could you give us maybe an overview of your master's project some objectives things that you're really working towards um, before we dive in yeah so like the overall goal of my project is exploring the efficacy of using virtual fence especially in the sand hills and like the western nebraska rangelands and so basically we were given this new technology or had this idea to use this new technology and we want to be at the forefront of helping ranchers figure out how they can use it in their operations, how they can be profitable using it in their operations. Does it even work is one thing. And the limitations of it, what are some of the issues that we're seeing that they could potentially see? A lot of my work specifically focuses on animal welfare. I want to be able to go to those ranchers and tell them by implementing this technology, we're not stressing out your cows. We're not hurting your cows in any way possible. So that's where my focus on the virtual fencing side of it comes in a little more with my project. And then the wildlife side of my project is I want to do some wildlife monitoring studies on the ranch and identify wildlife on the ranch and then potentially how all this research is being done at the Goodman Sandhills Ranch and Research Laboratory north of Whitman, Nebraska. So when I say the ranch, that's what I'm meaning. I realized I forgot to say that. And so I'm doing monitoring out at the ranch and then potentially looking at how they could implement virtual fencing to protect different wildlife species and stuff like that out there. So those are kind of the wide array of object of objectives. I'm only in my second semester of this and I'm just starting my proposals. So it'll get more detailed as I go. But right now we're pretty broad. That's pretty cool. And I believe that kind of virtual fencing that you just mentioned mm -hmm. might be included into a precision livestock. Exactly. Right. right? Mm -hmm. And how do you think that this precision livestock can affect the farmer's decisions, for example? So um, basically, the way I would see it is like if farmers want to like get into using the practice of precision livestock, especially virtual fence, I think it's going to be more beneficial to the ranchers that already have like a rotational grazing system in place or those ranchers that want to put a rotational grazing system in place because that's what we're finding it's most useful for right now. And so if I was going to talk to a rancher that wants to implement this, I would have to have that serious conversation of like, do you have a grazing plan in place? Are you in the process of creating a grazing plan? Because I think that's what's most beneficial and potentially implementing natural resource conservation on the land. There was an example of um, a rancher up in northern Idaho where he had a bunch of cross fencing on his land and he had problems with elk. They'd come in and out almost every day and night and just tear through this cross fencing and he loved the elk he didn't want to get rid of them so what did he do he turned to virtual fence and that eliminated the fence animal conflict and it can also be used in a lot of other ways in like stream bank restoration and conserving like game and songbird habitats and stuff like that and so that's kind of what i would sit down with the rancher and be like what are your goals because I think if you're going to implement precision management, you have to have like goals in place of what you want your ranch to see, because I don't think it's one of those things you just dive in and be like, let's try. Mm -hmm. Like you have to have those set goals in place. And if you have the set goals in place, then I think it could be a really successful tool. Yeah, that's neat. And you just briefly shared uh, maybe a story of uh, a rancher who's already using this practice. Mm -hmm. um, but would you, how often would you say maybe this type of fencing or even just like, 
digital tools and livestock management are being used um, in Nebraska or even just the U.S.? Like, is it really popular right now? Is it kind of still um, coming to the surface? Uh, what does that look like? So virtual fencing, the research started for it in about the early 1990s. And if you would look at pictures of what the cows were wearing then <laughs> compared to what the cows were wearing now, it's very different. And it's very cool to see how far the technology has come. So even though the research aspect of it has been going on for a while, um, companies commercially are kind of just now coming onto the scene. So um, a lot of companies are in the process of hitting the markets with it. They have a lot of prototypes going. There are a few companies that are on the market with it right now. Um, mainly, we're seeing it used in research right now. That's the largest thing. Researchers are really keying into it. I was just at a conference last week, and one of the whole two whole days we spent just with virtual fence researchers from all over the Western United States. And it was amazing to hear all the different ideas and stuff going on. And so I would say research is a key area right now. Some large ranches are implementing the systems, but usually they're backed by some sort of university research helping them. And so those are probably like the key players in everything right now it's being adopted on some like forest service and bureau of land management lands um but a lot of it's in conjunction with research or like i said the western united states where they're struggling with like feasibly putting in physical fence it's getting adopted a lot more out there a lot quicker that's nice and you mentioned about these companies that have been investing on this technology mm -hmm. but can you tell us who was developing first was unl that started that and the companies came or is UNL improving the company's products? How does that work? Um, I would say um, university research overall. So the really cool thing about the conference we were just at is some of the virtual fencing reps were there in the meetings. And we literally, us as researchers, got to have meetings with those reps. And we were like, this is what's working. This is where we're seeing problems. And it's really cool to see the companies come because we UNL sources my research sources everything from an outside company. So none of it's done in-house necessarily. We, we just use an outside company for our research side of things. And so from my experience so far, the companies have been great. You have questions about how to use their systems, they're out there. You have problems with the way the system's working, they're out there, they're helping you, they're on phone calls. And they really want to work with the rancher because they really want to make this work from obviously the business side of things, but also they see the impact that this could make. And you go with them and you're like, I, we found flaws with these collars falling off or this happened or that happened. And they're like, okay, they market, they talk to their engineers and they work through different ways. They could potentially fix the problem is kind of the way I would say. Um, there's a variety of vendors on the market and obviously like price range really varies depending on what vendor you go through. Um, average callers, usually the way the companies work is you rent the callers because the technology is updating so quickly. You pay like per head a cost per year and there's other upfront implementation costs. And then you pay that cost each year, depending on the number of head you want to put the, um, callers on. And then that upfront cost gets you the support for the year, gets you all the callers, all the equipment and things of that nature. And then at the end of the season, you send the callers back. And if you choose to do it again next year, they send you new callers. And that's kind of the way the system works. And different vendors have very different pricing. It just kind of depends on what you're looking for and your like current setup. So that's a lot of research kind of on the rancher's side of things. Yeah, that's neat. And it sounds like those industry partners are really nice, really good mm -hmm. to work with. And that always uh, helps with implementation and research. But are there other... Um, challenges maybe what could you say is your biggest challenge that you're faced with with doing this research with technology and 
on ranches? Probably the biggest fact is just like it's technology. It's great when it works. And then when it doesn't, it's not great. <laughs> like that has been the biggest thing we've probably found this last summer of research was literally just me putting the collars on the cows and seeing what works, what didn't work. And basically just like compiling that list of, okay, we can do this, this, and this, but for this, this, and this, the product struggles in a way, I guess you could say. Um, so where I'm constantly learning, which I think is a really cool aspect of things and something I'm passionate about learning new things. I'm kind of a nerd, I guess you could say. And so I love to constantly learn with the technology. Um, there are design limitations, obviously, like with everything. We've had problems with collars falling off and collars breaking, but you're going to see that everywhere. Um, keeping the collar devices on the cattle in really rough terrain can be an issue. Like from what we've seen and what we've heard from our counterparts, like across the U.S. And then cattle are obviously hard on all equipment. It's just kind of the way it is. And battery life can be an issue depending on your situation and like where you're at and whether the cows are right next to your home place and you can go out and check on them and replace a battery if needed, or if they're running all over the range in Southern Utah and you might not see them for two or three months, you know? So those are some of the limitations we're facing right now, but overall, nothing, nothing we can't handle just, you know, little things here and there. Yeah. It, that's neat. And you mentioned about these technologies, how this is growing and mm -hmm. how the farmers have been adopting that, right? But one thing that we have an ex example, and I believe Taylor can agree with me, sometimes we have all these technologies at the end. Sometimes some farmers would have the profit and sometimes they don't, like, yeah. it doesn't pay off to, mm -hmm. to have that technology. And that's an, another stage level that we are getting when adopting this technology, yep. right? But could you explain a little bit about how the profitability can be affected of this virtual fencing, for example? Yes. And so obviously the rancher's bottom line is something we're always concerned about with this research and this type of thing. And so right off the bat, I think it's really important to look at your operation and see how virtual fencing could potentially benefit your operation. And if it is worth the initial investment, if it can add any value to your operation, whether it's just like cutting down on labor costs and making your like everyday life easier or do you have a specific management or conservation objective that you're trying to reach that virtual fence could benefit you in some way shape or form i think is really going to kind of be the key if you could use virtual fence in a way that would be easier than going out and stringing out miles of electric fence is kind of the way the ranchers have to look at things um for example in western nebraska if improving grazing management could allow for a longer grazing season we could see an increased profitability in those ranchers. They could leave the cattle out on the range longer than what they typically would. So that could be a potential investment and profitability to their bottom line. And like I said, in some places out West, physical fences, 30 to $40,000 to put in a mile of fence in some places. And so they see virtual fence as a long-term investment that they can use. That's going to be way cheaper in the long run than putting in all this fence and then potentially having to go in and replace it and five, 10 years, depending on fires and weather conditions and things like that. Um, really key, I think, is just like a cost benefit analysis, like per operation, just the operation sitting down and being like, yes, this technology is really cool, but is it feasible for us right now? Because like you said, it's not going to be profitable for everyone and you might not see that return right away. And that's okay. Like not everyone has to use the newest and upcoming technology. Like we're just here to give it as an option for people, you know, like I never want someone to feel like pressured into like using this like new technology, like the old ways still work. We're just trying to make it easier on you. 
Yeah, we've talked a lot, um, a lot of great discussion here about limitations, profitability, adoption, um, you know, benefits to this. But can we talk a little bit about um, how this actually works? Like, how is this virtual fencing? And you mentioned these collars that uh, for our listeners who maybe aren't familiar with cattle or aren't Mm -hmm. familiar with virtual fencing, like, how does this actually work? Like, how are you implementing this? How is the fence, you know, stay in a certain place like is it's like what's the signal um how does that all work okay so um basically the way i can easily describe virtual fence is you know like shot collars for your dogs this is the way i describe it to people i'm putting them on cows and basically a cow is fitted with a gps system um the company that we use i guess i'm going to describe their prototype and the way it works um, basically the cow is fitted with the virtual fencing system and there's a GPS unit inside of that collar. That collar would then talk to either a base station or directly to a satellite, depending on what company you're using. And what I can do is I can go in on my laptop and literally I have, um, the interface pulled up and it gives you all of my individual pastures and I can hit like draw vents in some, in most situations, depending on your company, obviously. And I can literally draw the boundaries. It'd be easier if I could show you, but I can sit here and I can draw the boundaries and I can be like, okay, I want, I have this certain size of meadow and I want them to graze it this side of it for this half of the growing season and this side of it for this half of the growing season. So I go in, I draw that vents, the signal gets sent to the satellite, which then talks to the collar and those GPS coordinates get recorded in that collar. And then the way it works is it creates an invisible boundary. And once the cattle are inside that invisible boundary, once they get within the, um, once they get within a certain distance of like the line, the boundary line, first they get a minute of sound. So it's like a high pitched sound that the cow is supposed to recognize and be like, okay, I'm not supposed to cross this line. It's meant to like deter the cow, make the cow turn around. That happens, I believe, about twice, depending on your product and things like that. And then if the cow decides to keep going, that's when the cow gets a small shock. And I mean, the shock they receive from the virtual fencing collars is less than the shock that they would receive from an electric fence. So that's where animal welfare side of things, we are looking out for that side of things. So that's one of the things ranchers don't have to be worried about. And the cow can get shocked up to about three times. And after that, it cuts out for animal welfare things or for animal welfare, um, overall safety, animal safety. And then the animal, it can continue to graze past that line because the collar did shut off. But once it decides to re-enter, that grazing zone, then the collar turns back on or the rancher has to go in and turn the collar back on. And then the virtual fencing system is active again. So you're always going to have problem cows, basically. Like it's a very common thing. The fence right now we think is around between like 90 to 95% effective. Like you're always going to have those problem cows. I had a cow stare at me, I swear, and got shocked three times and walked to where she wasn't supposed to be. And I was like, thank you. Like you proved to me what everyone else said. Fine. But 90% of the time, the cows will stay in that virtual boundary. And cows are so smart. Like, that's something that I want people to know is cows are so smart and they learn. The cows that we've been training out at Goodmanson, they hear that sound and they know they're not supposed to go past it. And I've witnessed it myself. I've witnessed cows hear that sound, turn around, go back to where they're actually supposed to be. And it's really cool to see them learn and like get to know the system. And people worry about, they're like, okay, but if they associate something with an invisible boundary, when you go to change it, are the cows going to walk through it? And for us, we haven't had any problems with it. We'll switch it over and we'll move them to the south side of that pasture or meadow or whatever we're on. And the cows will walk right through. 
the cows will walk through, they'll start grazing. They have no problem moving to the new area or anything like that. And then they try and move back north. They hear the sound. They know they're not supposed to go there. Turn around, go right back. And so that's the way I would describe how it works in a very broad setting. It's an invisible boundary that's created using GPS points and the cattle are kept in by sound and shock stimuli, basically, is like the easiest way to... That was great and thorough. And I guess my question... Um... In these maybe like very rural settings, mm-hmm. are are you faced with any like satellite connective like connectivity or base station issues? Like how are you mitigating those types of uh, technology challenges? So that's something where you have to work with the company with. I mean, in some cases, um, satellite or cell phone connectivity. I mean, it is an issue. And that's some things they're facing out west. That's some things we're facing out in the sand hills where your cows, it is potential that they go offline for a while and you don't get the immediate GPS points because that's the cool thing is this GPS is constantly tracking your cow. So you can get GPS points anywhere from like every like five minutes to like every hour and a half. And the system can create like a heat map or like even like individual points to show you this is where this cow was at this time. This is where the cows spend the majority of their time grazing and things like that. So you do run into the potential of a caller going offline for a while. But normally we try and set it up in systems where there is good cell service and where we do have those strong signal strengths. And there is technologies I'm not as familiar with them that you can use to increase that signal strength where you can use them in maybe more rougher terrain areas but there is always that possibility of a caller going offline but as soon as it reaches a signal again then it should kick itself back online and be working but that's one of the limitations that we're kind of working through right now is yes it is possible to have those connectivity issues like depending on where you are and the other recommendation I guess maybe we'll talk about this more later, but the technology is not suited to be a boundary fence right now is something we've learned because it only is 90 to 95% successful. We do have those cows that don't always respect the boundary and things like that. So um, what I always like to tell people, it's great for like a rotational grazing system. Like if you want to implement it for those types of things, but I would not go and throw this around your cornfield and let your cows out next to a busy road <laughs> and not think you're going to get calls from your neighbors like, hey, your cows are out. <laughs> But that's important. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and you mentioned about how this the whole system works, but what kind of data is crucial for keep improving mm-hmm. the system? And also maybe how do you measure the animal welfare or what's the final product is like for the meat of the cow or basically so a lot of the data side of things, it's very important for um us and like as researchers and as the ranchers to understand. Your like grazing land resources is probably one of the most important things. Knowing where your cattle graze heavily and where they like to spend the majority of their time versus where they like would typically like graze more lightly. And so it's like on the ground going out, seeing those things and then bringing it back and setting those boundaries. Our goal is we look at ways to reduce grazing pressure on very heavily grazed areas of pasture by adaptively using that virtual fence to create those different boundaries during the grazing season, fence out the areas that are grazed very hard and hopefully extend that pasture time because you're stopping where the hard grazing is going and you're moving the cattle to maybe areas where they wouldn't typically choose to graze on their own, but there still is that available forage that they could use. And so we're trying to even out the grazing system as a whole, take some of the pressure off those more hard hit areas and let them recover and push cattle into areas where they might not typically um graze on as much two very important factors are obviously like pre-existing fences 
use them to your benefit, build your fences around them, use them to your benefit as boundary fences, and then water sources. Water sources are always a really big thing. Obviously, when you're creating all these virtual fence boundaries, make sure your cows still have access to water at some point and make sure the area around the water is big enough so the cows aren't getting that shock and sound stimulus when they're going to water so that way they're not afraid to walk up to that water tank at any certain point I would say is like one of the biggest things awesome um so do you believe there's a place for a digital assessment tool that would allow these ranchers uh to perform like initial assessment no there's a really cool animal welfare study out of Oklahoma State so like my master's project, we're looking at acute heart rates and how that can affect animal, um, how that we can detect cattle stress and animal welfare that way. But research has been done out of Oklahoma State using um, hair and fecal cortisol levels to look at cattle stress rate and how cattle stress response to virtual fence was. And all of that data they got out of that study showed that cattle are not um, having an increased stress rate due to the shock and sound of the virtual fence. So that's been a really cool study to talk to people about when they ask me before my stuff is done, you know, and it's really cool to have to have collaborators at places like Oklahoma State, you know, and all across the country that are doing these studies and that I can go to for help. And yeah, they started that process and saying like, no, it's not stressing out your cows. <laughs> yeah, that's really, that's really helpful. Um, so how does maybe the cropping system diversity or lack of um, on a regional scale impact the feasibility of implementing these best practices? So right now, um, a lot of the research really isn't involved in like the cropland side of things. I wouldn't say cropland diversity really plays a big role in anything at the moment. Um, there are some researchers looking into how effective virtual fencing can be on like grazing cover crops and grazing um, corn residue and stuff like that when ranchers would go and put their cattle out on corn stalks or cover crops like in the fall or winter. But besides that, there's not a lot going on with the crop side of things. I think it'd be really cool eventually if we could use it to put cattle on like crop residue and cornfields and stuff like that in the fall and not have to put in miles of, of physical fence, you know, to fence off an area. But like I said, they're not boundary fences right now. So we're working towards it. But not a lot on the crop side at the moment. Slowly but surely. Yeah. <laughs> right. And what are some of the objectives of the virtual scale mm -hmm. at a regional scale, for example? And how can those align with the precision livestock? So basically, a lot of the objectives are just to create a lot um, less labor-intensive environment and give ranchers the tools they need to implement these different um, grazing systems and diverse grazing strategies and things of that nature. And we want to not only benefit the ranch, but we want to benefit the wildlife and everything else that uses the ranch. We want to help that rancher's bottom line, but we also want to give him the tools to say, yeah, you might not have been able to manage for this wildlife before because of all the extra time and labor it would have taken. But now that you have all these new tools, we can use them as you're using them to manage your cattle and we can benefit the environment as a whole, which I think is a really cool aspect of it. And yeah, just like, typical environmental like infrastructure things like wildlife fence conflicts you hear it all the time out west about ranchers and pronghorn if we could figure out simple solutions to help ranchers eliminate a lot of that problem that would be an amazing thing for western nebraska and basically just like allow for more management that is like not predicted on where physical fences typically are give ranchers the opportunity to manage their grasslands differently than they ever have before because they're not confined to just where those physical fences currently stand. Awesome. Caitlin, well, this has been really great. 
Um, so what are you maybe most excited about in terms of precision digital ag technology um, within the livestock industry? We know we have um, a great amount of resources and the cropping systems, but um, this animal livestock industry, it's kind of a new thing. Mm-hmm. You know, we've been doing research, but like for industry to be bringing uh, products to market, it's it's fairly new. So what are you maybe most excited for in the future of precision livestock management? I'm just, I'm excited to see where it goes because I've seen how far the cropping side of things has gone and how much easier it's been made for a lot of those agriculturalists. So I'm excited to see how this new precision technology can benefit grazing strategies and benefit those ranchers and their bottom line and just overall animal health and welfare. If we can have early detections on sicknesses or something like that, that's affecting the herd and take care of those problems up front before they turn into a more severe issue. I just think like increased animal welfare, increased animal health, and just making the ranchers lives easier because modern day we've learned things aren't going to get easier. They're only going to get harder. And so I'm excited to kind of be that middleman and be there to help the ranchers as these new technologies come out and be able to implement them on their operations and help them give them new and creative ideas on maybe ways they haven't thought about managing before. Yeah, that's neat. It's nice how these technologies can help mm-hmm. um, facilitating all the, what these producers have been working because they work really hard. And going towards our last yep. questions here, our interview was really nice. Where can our listeners go to learn more about precision conservation and the work that you, you do? So I can give you my contact info and you can stick that wherever you need to with the podcast. But the easiest way to do it... um. You can reach out a lot of, depending on where you're at, a lot of universities are doing research in this area. So you could reach out to your local university and your extension offices. Um, I can give you guys my email and feel free to reach out to me by email. I can give you my advisor's email and you can reach out to him. And also, yeah, it's the Applied Wildlife Ecology and Spatial Movements Lab, but it's called the Awesome Lab because the research we do is awesome. That's my plug for it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so you can go under there and see all of the really cool research that I'm getting to do with the cattle and all the other research that's going on with the wildlife stuff all across the state. And it's a really cool, we like to use it to reach out to the public and show them what we're doing and get them involved with our research, like in any way possible. And so the awesome lab is a great place to go. Contact me and Mitch. We'd love to have your questions. Sounds good. And for those listeners who maybe are more interested about uh, the work that Andy Little is doing, we have an episode with him, episode 55 on precision conservation conversations. So uh, feel free to listen to that one, too, if you liked this. Um, So, yeah, with that, uh, we'll wrap it up here. Um, So we have a... um, a tradition here on the Farm Vets podcast where we ask for a piece of advice from our guest. So the piece of advice uh, we're looking for from you today, maybe um, what to, what can you offer our listeners? Uh, what kind of advice can you offer our listeners regarding this land management and wildlife conservation efforts with the use of technology? I would say ranchers and agriculturalists are already conservationists. A lot of times they just don't realize it. And this new technology is really opening the door for them to not only benefit their ranching operations, but also wildlife conservation as a whole. So I think the key going into the future is just having an open mind about how you can manage your own operation, but also positively impacting the environment as a whole. So my advice going forward would just be have an open mind to the technology. 
see where it can be used on your operation. If you can utilize it, fantastic. But otherwise, look for different ways in your operation that you can just continually work to get better and you'll do just fine. <laughs> Thank you very much to Caitlin for taking the time to join this episode of the Farm Beats podcast. It's really exciting how the virtual fencing have been testing this technology that can help producers on tracking cattle for improve their management. One of my favorite parts of this episode is how the virtual fencing can help farmers on how manage their cattle without spending a lot of money and also the time building fences, but also supporting animal welfare. Yeah, I agree, Jose. It was really neat to hear about that one instance where there were problems with elk um, and just how um, how useful this technology um, is going to be for the industry um, moving forward. Um, so I hope you enjoyed that episode and we look forward to sharing another digital ag story with you next week on Farm Bits. Thank you for taking the time to join us today on the Farm Beats podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts to be informed about the latest content each week. We welcome your feedback, so if you have comments or questions for us, please reach out to us over email, on Twitter, or in the review section of your favorite podcast platform. Our contact information can be found in the show notes. We would like to thank Nebraska Extension for their support of this podcast and their commitment to providing high-quality informational material to members of the agricultural community in Nebraska and beyond. The opinions expressed by the hosts and guests on this podcast are solely their own and do not reflect the views of Nebraska Extension or the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. We look forward to you joining us next week for another episode of Farm Beats.